Editor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week that I am also the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks that focuses uh, on economic, uh, on, on the markets and economic conditions as well as specific uh, stock recommendations. Also, I like to remind you that Roger Wiegand uh, publishes Trader Tracks and Chen Lin, who publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Those two gentlemen are also partners of mine. Uh, and uh, Roger Wiegand will be on with me today at the very end of today's show. Uh, we do have a special introductory offer for, uh, for you to try uh, each of these letters separately, um, special lower-cost uh, trial sample. You can call uh, my assistant, Claudio Bassi, in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel, and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Bonanza Gold, Eurasia Minerals, Prophecy Platinum, and Rye Patch Gold. Well, I've titled today's show, A Royal Reversal of the American Revolution. We still do celebrate the Revolution of 1776, but do we know what we are celebrating? I ask that question because there seems to be an enormous amount of ignorance about the ideas of the American Revolution. What our founders fought for is exactly what Ron Paul is pushing for in his campaign for the Republican nomination. Yet very few people seem to understand that. Americans have forgotten what the revolution was all about. The founding fathers wanted a government uh, that was formed to serve us, not for us to serve the government. And the founding fathers, um, they really stood behind the notion of no taxation without representation. Yet now Americans are losing virtually all of their representation in Congress while being taxed evermore, either through direct taxation or through the most pernicious hidden tax of inflation. The special interests now own Congress and get laws passed for their benefits against the best interest of the average American people. The deeper you look into the power structure, you see connections between those that control the Federal Reserve and our government and the European royalty and the interest of some extremely rich but hidden families that profit from wars and the bloodshed of Americans, American young people as well as hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of foreigners, uh, innocent people who die in attacks uh, from the United States. John Perkins has talked on this show about how the Anglo-American post-World War II powers have set out to indebt third world countries to such an extent uh, that they become servants of the Anglo-American empire through institutions like the World Bank, the IMF, and the United Nations. Catherine Austin Fitz has talked on this show some time ago about how that same modus operandi has been used to enslave Americans uh, the American public through debt and by so doing turn American citizens into indentured servants, just as happened during the Middle Ages. The work of our main guest today, Dr. John Coleman, provides evidence to a very great extent of a major conspiracy that has perpetuated, that has been perpetuated over the last 100 years or so by the British royalty to take America back from the common folks and to make our citizens again servants of the state. Long forgotten, I'm afraid, has been the Declaration of Independence which started out proclaiming that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, among them our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what we are seeing now is a direct reversal of what the founders of our country sought. They sought a government that would stay out of the lives of people so that we could each individually be what our Creator made us to be. As America moves increasingly towards what I believe is fascism, the individual becomes insignificant as he uh, and she is owned by the state. The individual is no longer allowed to be free, to be what she or he is genetically and spiritually meant to be. 
So despite the revolution of 1776, the goals of European royalty and a handful of filthy rich families that surround the thrones of Europe, uh, things have never changed. Their goals have not changed. The goal has always been world domination and a one-world government. And so, uh, to be sure, the American people, the people who uh, became the freest people in the history of humankind, are willing to give up their freedom. Massive propaganda has been, uh, and fear-mongering has been uh, the modus operandi of the establishment to get us to cooperate with the wars that enriched the military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned about. And secret societies that President Kennedy warned about, warned us about also, have been perpetuated to plan our future in accordance with what works best for the ruling elite. Daniel Estulin has talked extensively in this show in the past about the Bilderberg Organization uh, that meets once a year in secrecy and is controlled by the European royalty as well as the heads of state uh, of Western world countries that are now owned by that elect group of people. G. Edward Griffin noted uh, one of the elite groups, namely the Fabian Socialist of London, had no difference of opinions or desires with respect to uh, their endgame, no difference with the, uh, with the Bolshevik communist of Russia. Uh, the, uh, the Fabian Socialists, to put uh, some people in, the, uh, to put some faces in that organization, uh, Tony Blair uh, was a member, uh, John Maynard Keynes, uh, George Bernard Shaw. Both the Russian communists and the Fabians, of course, they, they wanted to see a world dictatorship headed by their own respective ruling elites. But the Bolsheviks wanted to achieve that through the barrel of a gun. The Fabian socialists, on the other hand, they believed it would be better to educate us, to teach us, um, and, to, and to program us so that we would willingly uh, go quietly uh, to the slaughter or at least uh, to servitude. And so, as Dr. Coleman, our guest today, will no doubt tell us, the educational system to manipulate your thinking and mine, your behavior and mine, towards obedience and submission to the state is well underway. What we try to do on this show is to dig deeper to find out what is really going on behind what is obvious, what is not so obvious, and what is certainly not obvious to most people. It is very difficult for most people to perceive of a grand scheme and powers behind the throne that are directing history. Not only is it difficult to perceive of such grand conspiracies, it is very uncomfortable to do so. But increasingly, I am convinced that there is a very evil force behind the scenes seeking world domination uh, at the expense of those natural rights our founding fathers spoke of in the Declaration of Independence, those forces are gaining strength as world events seem to be stripping nations of their individual sovereignty towards a one-world government at, that, unlike our founding fathers, does not believe in a power bigger than humankind. To get us to think the way uh, they want us to, we are bombarded with propaganda, misinformation, and I believe unwarranted fear so that we will willingly give up our freedom for our own good. They conceive us, uh, they convince us uh, that it is in our own good, of course, and that's why we willingly uh, allow pat-downs at airports and to be zapped with X-ray uh, radiation that, according to some uh, accounts, is uh, far greater than anything you get in a dentist office and may really be the reason that you are granted an option for a pat-down as opposed to an X-ray every time you go through the uh, TSA checkpoints at airports. Well, we will allow them to zap us with huge doses of radiation from the Bush administration's Chernoff, uh, Chernoff's x-ray machines uh, or to feel, to, to really just to take advantage of us in any number of ways as long as we are safe. A guest on this show in the past have helped us understand why all of this is taking place and why a continuing decline in our liberties is on track uh, to continue as long as uh, we see uh, a nation, uh, as long as we agree to uh, this servitude that is being uh, forced upon us or convinced, convincing us to succumb to. We've had people like Ed Griffin, Adrian Sabucci, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, Daniel Estelin, Dmitry Orloff, James Perloff, John Perkins, John Leftis, all have added credible evidence, I believe, to a major hand in directing Americans uh, to this willing, uh, um, this willing, willingness to give up their freedom, much as uh, the story of Jacob and Esau in the Bible 
um, where a bowl of porridge was traded for uh, the future family's uh, the family fortune. It seems to me that uh, it may be very difficult to comprehend behind the scenes uh, that there is a global mafia of sorts. It sets off bombs and scares us, and then or offers us protection um, in exchange for a, a very dear price. That price is not only uh, taxes and inflation, but is also the loss of our freedom. Well, in any event, today we are going to uh, we are going to look at some of the powers behind the throne. We're going to look more deeply with Dr. John Coleman at some of these issues. One of the things we're going to talk about uh, today uh, is the Kennedy assassination. Uh, Dr. Coleman has uh, written fairly extensively about that in his book, The Committee of 300. Uh, Coleman believes that uh, that, that event, uh, which was really a major event in, our, uh, in modern history uh, in terms of taking away power from the people and giving it to uh, and ensuring that the ruling elite uh, continue to move uh, away from freedom and liberty for the individual. Uh, and he disagrees with, uh, with Vincent Bugliosi, who has written a book called Four Days in November, uh, in which uh, Vincent Bugliosi is convinced that the Warren Commission was right and that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone killer. Uh, we will talk to uh, Dr. Coleman about that, and we will try to, to the extent we have time today, to go back and look at... Um, look at history and see how it connects to these events, the Kennedy assassination, as well as events that have taken place since then, including some of the more recent wars, uh, the wars that we are continually in, involved in, uh, from uh, that the United States, at least, is continually involved in. Uh, we are also, of course, in this show, though we try to understand history and how it connects to the present and how policies are affected by history and the ruling elite behind the throne, we also try to use that theory and that history uh, to help us understand how we can better invest and how we can plan our lives. And it is clear to me, and I think to most people or many people that listen to this show, that the debasement of the currency is being used as a way to reallocate wealth and power away from the people to the ruling elite. And with that, of course, to protect ourselves, we want to and need to own gold in one form or another, we start out suggesting that people own gold in the form of um, bullion and silver as well in bullion. But I believe there are fantastic opportunities as long as the economics for gold mining remain strong as they are now to make very large profits in the gold mining sector as well. So today we will be talking to uh, Chris Krupe. He's the president of Paramount Gold and Silver. Uh, he'll be with us after uh, just a minute or two from now after we go to our first break. Later in the second hour today, we'll have Brian Kerwin of American Bonanza. He'll be with us as well. Uh, his company is starting production in western Arizona. And my partner, as I mentioned earlier, Roger Wiegand, will be with me. Uh, Roger writes Trader Tracks, and uh, he has some interesting things that he's involved with uh, very soon uh, in Arizona that he wants to talk to you about, and we'll have Roger also talked to us about his views on on a couple of the major markets that we watch and pay a lot of uh, of attention to. Well, it is time to go to break now, and when we come back, we will have Chris Krupe of Paramount Gold and Silver with us. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. 
by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me once again Chris Krupe. He's the president of Paramount Gold and Silver Corp. This is a company that trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol PZG. Same symbol in the United States. You can buy it under the under PZG, and there's approximately 136, well, I'll call it 137 million shares rounding up. Outstanding. Uh, the market price today, the most recent market price that I've Learned of is two dollars and seventy-two cents. It gives the company a market cap of just shy of about three hundred and seventy million dollars. Welcome, Chris, to turning hard times into good times. Well, thanks to be here again, Jay. Thank you. Good to have you. Uh, you have had some really good uh, headline news coming out recently as I prepared for this show, uh, and I, I might just mention, for the sake of uh, full disclosure, that this is a company that uh, my wife and I own shares in. It is a company that I've recommended in my newsletter. And uh, Paramount uh, Gold and Silver has been in the past a sponsor to this show. Um, for listeners that may not be familiar with Paramount Gold and Silver, talk a little bit about um, your two leading projects, if you would. The Sleeper Mine, I believe, uh, you would categorize as your uh, as your uh, flagship property. It's in northwestern Nevada, but your San Miguel project is really looking good too. But let's start out with the sleeper mine. Mm-hmm. What are your resources there, Chris? And I know that you recently came out with some good news about uh, some waste dumps there. Can sure, you talk sure. Well, about that? Jay, um, in, in October, SRK published a, on our behalf a resource update, uh, and 3.7 million ounces of gold and 33 million ounces of silver, equivalent based on. 55 to 1 silver to gold is 4.4. Now, we bought that in 2010 mm-hmm. with a million ounces left. So we've quadrupled it in a matter of a year by spending $3 million on drilling. And that project is looking unbelievable. It's, you know, it has been mined before. There's a lot known about it. There's power. There's water. The nice, uh, really exciting part of it is, you know, we took a shot at drilling the waste dumps. You know, we, there was three waste dumps around the pit, right on the edges, and we got 74 holes into those. Uh, we did the reverse circulation holes, and the results are wonderful. I mean, I saw intervals of uh, up to a gram per ton of gold sitting above the ground. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our view is that just adds to the economic value of what's in the ground. And, you know, that's how Allied Nevada got high cross started by leaching the old material that was lying around that nobody thought was valuable in the yeah. 80s and 90s, well, it's now valuable when gold's worth $1,700. Right. So we're in the process of putting that together with the in-situ resource that I quoted you and coming up with a new economic assessment later this year, and I think people will be very excited to see that number. So what you're saying, if I understand you, Chris, is that that uh, waste dump number of... of um those ounces on the waste dump have not been factored into that overall number yet. Absolutely, and you know we're thinking, you know, on the on the low end, three to four hundred thousand, and perhaps more. So, but remember, these are low cost ounces because they're already mined out of the of ground. Of course, 
Of course. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about the exploration potential there on the, uh, at the sleeper as well. Absolutely. Well, we've just finished a staking program, so we've made the project bigger. Um, we, we're looking at the sleeper trend, which is a very robust, strong mineral system, and there was really only a small part of that that's been mined. We've got 40 square miles of, of claims here, Jay, and mm. I think you're going to see this year, as the, as the season opens up in Nevada, we're going to have, we're going to stack it up with rigs and we're going to drill it, and I think you're going to see some really good results. We've got some wonderful targets, and we're just making the project that more, much more interesting on the upside. We know what's there, so now we're looking at what, what's potentially there. Chris, I believe your modus operandi is not to be a producer. You are uh, a company that will build ounces in the ground. You've had a lot of success here. Uh, some of the people and some of the money behind your company have had tremendous amounts of success with other companies. Um, what do you think you need here to attract a major uh, to this project? What, 5, 10, 20 million ounces? Well, you know what, Jay, I think we're there already. I think we're, you know, we're in that sort of uh, 3 to 4 million range and, mm-hmm. and growing, and I think that the project is uh, perhaps ready to be put in the development uh, channel, and I don't think, I don't think that's far off, and... Um, I think any upside we discover in the summer drill program will just really make it that much more attractive to one of these mm-hmm. guys to really want to jump in. And, and I, think you're, I think you're a short curve to production. It was mine before. There's, there's a lot of things there that you will not find in a greenfields or early stage project. Of course, a lot, as you say, the, the sleeper was uh, a very profitable mine for a while, at least, and it mined a very ex- uh, sensationally high-grade section. What um, is it, do you have a drill program uh, outlined yet, or is that still in the making for uh, the sleeper? Well, what we're doing, Jay, is we're waiting for our um, our, our economics to come back on a PEA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the targets picked out. We just want to make sure that we're spending our dollars wisely. Um, I would think by um, you know by by early April, uh, the season will start and we'll we'll be we'll be ready to roar. So, and when do you expect news. the PEA? Well, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, we're still a few months out. We'd hope to get it out by the end of March. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. The firms are pretty backed up. But we're looking at about the, the April, late April, May time frame at this point. Okay. Uh, so lots of things going on there, lots of blue sky already, a very, a very significant asset. And we'll really be looking forward to that PEA to see what the numbers look like there. Uh, but you know that's your that is your flagship property. I think you uh, you would categorize the sleeper as your number one project at this well, point. Well, it's the right? most advanced J in the queue, and obviously the most um, uh, there'll be more action on, on that property uh, in the near term. Yeah, absolutely. However, uh, there have been some very very good assays and some good news that have been coming out of your San Miguel project in Mexico as well. Uh, yes. Talk to us about some of the drill results recently that uh, have that you've announced. Well, you know, Jay, we spent a lot of money last year on drilling, and it's really paid off. We had three diamond rigs going for most of the year. The results have started to trickle back. We got results that really blew my expectations. I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, we put out some drill holes um, on the La Union area, which um, is a high-grade ore chute. We opened up the we opened up the ore chute, so it's open. And, uh, you know, an example, 7.75 meters of 29.5 grams per ton. That's 2.9. That's not silver. That's gold. That's, mm. You're pushing an ounce per it's ton. phenomenal. And that's not very deep, Jay. That's, that's at 145 meters. That's open pit mineable. Mm-hmm. You're not talking uh, hundreds and hundreds of meters below. Mm-hmm. We, you know, in that, same, in that same round of drilling at this one target, we also hit a nice long interval of 79 meters of 3.7 grams. So not only are we building high grade, we're building mineable material that's still got a nice grade around it uh, that, you know, y- y- helps to build the economics. That was, that was a, a gold, uh, let's call it a high grade ore shoot. We also, last week, uh, these numbers might blow you away, but we put out some silver numbers. So this is not just a gold project. It's a gold-silver project. So we get some leverage on both sides of the metal spectrum. Um, we intercepted 20, gram, 20 meters of 201 grams silver, which is yeah, it's not a bad grade. But if you look, you delve into it, we also had a very high-grade interval of 1.8 kilos. Now, it only might have been 2 meters, but, I mean, that's a very, very high-grade. And that will actually add to the economics, and not just the economics, but... The, the sheer robustness of 
to justify building these uh, these mines out in in Mexico. Yeah, so uh, those are very very good numbers. And what is your resource uh, there now? Well, listen, we haven't tabulated it since um, we put up we published a report in early 2011 based on 2010 drilling. We've got mm-hmm. a full year of drilling to come, so keep that in mind with three diamond rigs. The last resource we put out was, you know, approximately a million ounces of gold, I'm rounding these numbers, Jay, and 70 million ounces of silver. I would, with all the drilling we did, I would look for these numbers to increase materially uh, throughout this year later on. Yeah. That's uh, really exciting, really exciting stuff you've got going here. You've, you do have a market cap of $370 million, uh, which is higher than a lot of the companies that I cover, but you also have a lot of gold and silver in the ground and lots more seemingly uh, to come, certainly um, based on work that's already been done. The assay labs are backed up in many cases. And, the, you know, that's one of the one of the difficulties in this sector and this business is that we, uh, you know, we, ru- we run into these good times and it's very difficult to find all the, all the, uh, all the resources you need to move things along as fast as you'd like. Uh, anything else you, you think our listeners should know about? Um, well, I, I think one of the things that you should know about is we have, um, you know, we have a good backer behind the company. So even in the hard times, Jay, as you talk about, we've got Albert Friedberg who owns 20% of the company and has done very well with mm-hmm. um, all of his mining investments and is here for us. We've got an institutional following in New York. We trade over a million shares a day. That's a mm. given. Uh, Thirty thousand shareholders, institutional take up. So it's a very it's a very solid company. Um, I, we've got a critical mass of resources. You know, over six million ounces of gold and silver in equivalent gold. That puts the market market at fifty dollars an ounce in the ground. Gold's trading at seventeen hundred. Uh, I don't see the downside here. I just see myself being able to move the companies market value uh, to closer to close that gap to 1700 and I think that's what people should be looking for is leverage to gold and not just gold but silver as well. It is a very interesting story. Do you have any, uh, do you have money in the bank now and how far will that take you? Well, we've we got five million in the bank but uh, Mr. Friedberg also has eight million in warrants and um, uh, the money for us is not the issue. We're still trying to get our our current drill program from 11 out to the market and uh, to get the full value of what we're seeing right now. I'm sorry, Chris. I didn't quite, I didn't catch the number you said. How much you oh, have? We're sitting on about five million in cash right now. Jay. Okay. Well, good. Uh, all right. Well, this is uh, really something that I want to uh, keep my subscribers updated on. This is a company I think that has lots of upside potential from this level, and um, clearly, as you mentioned, Mr. Freeberg and and others behind you. Um, you know, that's that's very important, and and the success. You always look at the success of the people involved in these companies because good people will find. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with good projects and develop them along uh, according to their skill sets. So, Chris, thank you very much for coming on and sharing, uh, giving our listeners an update on your story. It really is very, very interesting. All the best, and I uh, hope we talk to you again sometime soon. Well, thanks for hearing the PZG story, Jay. Thank you. Take care. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with our main guest today, Dr. John Coleman. Uh, he's the author of a fascinating, well, several fascinating books. We're going to try to focus on one of them today, mostly uh, anyway, and that's the Committee of 300. Uh, we'll be right back after the break with Dr. John Coleman. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Back uh, to turning hard times into good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for a second time Dr. John Coleman. Dr. Coleman is an author, a constitutional scholar, and an analyst of world affairs who speaks five foreign languages and was stationed in 14 different countries around the world. He has written several books and numerous papers analyzing the power structure of the world. He argues that a relatively small group of people, whom he calls the Committee of 300, constitutes a ruling elite who are pursuing a goal of one world government. Welcome back, uh, Dr. Coleman, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you. You know, I want to start out, before we get into our conversation, by telling my listeners uh, that, uh, that the Committee of 300 is a book that must be read. Uh, and I say that not because it's something difficult to read. It is a fascinating read. Uh, I have not read through the entire book yet. I've read, it's, um, oh, it's over 400 pages long. Uh, but the parts that I've read, it's just, it's just absolutely, um, just, just a fascinating read. Uh, it, it's hard to put it down. Uh, but more importantly, if it's true, and it rings true to me, I must say that, then this is some of the most important history uh, that you need to know if you want to understand why the world is the way it is, why policies are being made the way they are, and why people like John F. Kennedy have disappeared from our lives so suddenly. Uh, yes, it's, it's conspiratorial, but to think that conspiracies don't exist would be idiocy. Conspiracies exist on small scales and large scales, uh, all the time in our lives, not all the time, sometimes I guess things happen without uh, everything being conspiratorial, but behind the scenes, big time, uh, the big picture certainly I think that uh, Dr. Coleman lays out a reason to believe uh, that much if not most or if not all of what is said in the Committee of 300, uh, the book The Committee of 300 makes sense. Uh, Dr. Coleman, I would like before we get into the discussion for you to tell our listeners where they can uh, pick up this book. It's, it's not something, it's, it's a little bit like, I tell our readers, it's a little bit like another book that we've had the author on, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, uh, G. Edward Griffin. It's not a book that you're going to hear about uh, in the New York Times. It's not a book that you're going to hear about, uh, you know, you're not going to see Ed Griffin interviewed on the major news networks. You're not going to see John Coleman interviewed in the major news networks because, the committee of 300, uh, you know, is accusing the very people of uh, of things that they wouldn't want you to know about. Um, they are the mainstream. They are the media. But Dr. Coleman, if you could just tell our listeners where can they go? What is the website where they can go to pick up this book, the committee of 300, and other books that you've written? You can uh, look at our website, Coleman at 300.com. Coleman at 300.com, and you'll find. All of the books that I've written are up there. Some of the books that are not up there are available in a special catalog form. And uh, if you do not have access to Internet and cannot get to Coleman300.com, then you can call us at 1-800-942-0821 and we'll give you that information Again, the number to call, 1-800-942-0821. Okay, thank you, Dr. Coleman. We'll uh, repeat that at the end of the show today as well. Um, your point, i just like to, I, I want to focus today on the assassination of John Kennedy, but before we get to that, I'd like to just sort of lay the groundwork a little bit if we could. 
you point out that there has been a growing number of books on various organizations, such as the CFR, that's the Council of Foreign Relations, Trilateralist, the Bilderbergs organizations, but none of them go far enough in explaining who are the powers behind the throne. These uh, are three of the 300 organizations in your book that you name as organizations that you believe are controlled by an inner circle of global power elites. Of course, I hope before we are finished today that, uh, that we can get a glimpse at who some of these people are, the Olympians, as you call them. Uh, you note very accurately that the notion of a handful of people with sufficient power and resources could control these seemingly independent organizations it seems like nonsense to most people. Um, but then you point out that you know certain things that you've studied, such as the French Revolution, the Anglo-Boer War, the 1905 uh, Russo, Russo-Japanese War, um, the Bolshevik Revolution, especially World War II, uh, that there had to be a mastermind behind these events. Could you just explain your thinking behind that, and, and why is it so difficult for people to uh, to believe that there's some grand conspiracy? Well, most people believe that there can't be anything on that scale, but mm-hmm. it's not impossible at all if you begin to analyze it and see how these things all seem to happen. Certainly they cannot be spontaneous, and they must be following a grand design. So how is this done, and who are these people? The Committee of 300, I named all the names in my book. Mm-hmm. I don't speak about they. I specifically name who they are. Mm-hmm. But for me to recite them now would be take a very long time. And if you purchase a copy of the book, of course, you'll be able to see who they are. And you take wars. Wars never begin just by themselves. They're always pre-planned. And in many instances, in the United States, for instance, we have disobeyed our Constitution and gone to war without a declaration of war, mm-hmm. which is a constitutional uh, requirement, a five-step process, which, first of all, we can't go to war against a nation that has not done us any harm. Mm-hmm. Has fired shots at us, killed our troops, sank our ships, or fired on our aircraft. There has to be proof positive that that nation that we want to go to war against has specifically harmed us. And then there's a joint resolution between the House and the Congress and uh, the Senate, I should say, and then they issue this declaration of war, which is a complicated one, mm-hmm. but it's specially designed in that way to stop people willy-nilly rushing this country into wars and wasting our substance, our precious substance, our man and manpower, our soldiers and people who were in the armed forces and then our resources. Mm-hmm. Wars cost huge amounts of money. Mm-hmm. In my book, The Committee of 300, I detail all of these facts. I give what it cost to wage war and the various wars that have taken place and the tremendous cost in lives to the American people and all nations who participated. Russia, incidentally, bore the brunt. They had the greatest losses. Then there came the other nations, like Germany, and then the United States. And uh, there again, as I said, what, what, what did we do? What did we go to war for? What was the aim and the object? And very often this is not stated. Whereas our Constitution says that the war must be stated for what reason it is, and it can't be open-ended. It must give a beginning date and an ending date. Mm-hmm. And the president is authorized to send troops and their equipment out for 45 days. And then if he needs more, he comes back, he comes back to the commander on the field and asks for the declaration to be made. And then the full might of the United States is behind that. Every man, woman, and child in the United States is at war with every man, woman, and child of the enemy nation. Mm-hmm. That's the proper way to do it. Not just to go willy-nilly putting forces into Afghanistan and uh, the Middle East, and many other places that we've done. So yeah. I hope your listeners will get the idea and really begin to understand these things. But if you really want to get into it and find out in detail, 
please order a copy of my book, The Committee of 300. Yeah, I think that's very necessary, Dr. Coleman. If people really care about this, and they should, every every citizen should care deeply about this. It is extremely important. I mean, I think uh, many people care more about desperate housewives and uh, you know who won the hockey game or the football game or the basketball game than they care about this. But but this is this is stuff that's extremely important. And the committee of three hundred, then in reading your work, it seems to me that they are very much in favor of war. As you're talking about the cost of war, I was thinking, yes, but there's a transfer of wealth to somebody, somebody who wants these wars or benefiting from these wars. So would you say that, as a, gen- as a general statement, the Committee of 300, they like wars? They do. They do. And you must understand another thing. People who finance these wars like wars because they reap huge profits from war. And do you think that uh, when Dwight David Eisenhower warned about the military-industrial complex, he saw that this was coming? He, he, had, a, he had exactly what is in mind happening, unfolding before us now. That's exactly what he said. And we find that we are drifting towards fascism in a way where the, the manufacturing industries team up with the government and virtually dictate government policy. And that's fascism. Yeah. And it's fascism, and, and of course, a big part of that is the central bank, and I want to get into some of those issues when we, uh, when we talk about, uh, about John Kennedy and, and all that took place there. The Committee of 300, um, and it is, it is a list of people and organizations, many of which would be recognized by our listeners, I'm sure. Uh, and again, that list is in the book. Some of the people that, uh, some of the institutions we named, like the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateralists, the Bilderbergs. Um, okay, so you, so you noted, uh, this is one very interesting thing I want to just touch on before we get into the Kennedy situation. You noted that there was a common thread running through some of the events, that uh, the major events, uh, for example, the French Revolution and the Bolshevik Revolution, uh, that there was one of the common threads was a hatred of Christianity. Um, do, do you could you explain that, or does this theme extend beyond those two major historical events and, and possibly even into the present time? There's a, a general hatred or a, a propaganda against Christianity. Would you do you believe that's true? I believe it's true. You must remember, at the time of Napoleon, all the kings and queens of Europe were Christians. Mm-hmm. They may not have been good Christians, but they were Christians. And in many countries, like Russia, for instance, Christianity was the official government religion. Mm-hmm. And the Rothschilds did not like this. They, of course, were completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And they actually groomed Napoleon, who was nothing but a French corporal. didn't have money to buy his uniform, even. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got him up to where he could mount this mighty army and go to war against all the kings and queens of Europe, and the idea being to get rid of the Christian religion and at the same time to bring down the monarchies and to make them one common, donate, dominate, one common denominator, that they be just the ordinary people and then the, the rulers. Mm-hmm. And that would be their idea, and that's how the one-world government is, is envisaged by most mm-hmm. of these and so you get rid of the middle class and make everybody servants. Is that the idea of a That's very small idea. ruling class? That's right. The middle class was the backbone of America, and we've seen what happened when they were got rid of. Well, we're seeing what's happening. I would still argue there is a middle class here, but it's a dwindling middle class, it seems to me. Yes, and what, is, what do we mean by the middle class? It was a group of people, unique to America, by the way, who were fully employed in manufacturing industries, that's mm-hmm. the key. They provided goods that could be sold, and they had this huge market, the American people, who were earning enough money to buy those goods. They didn't need anybody to come and tell them how to run their markets. They had this enormous uh, population that were well able to buy all of the products they produced because they were getting a wage and earning uh, money that enabled them to do that. And that was basically the backbone of America. Mm-hmm. Without the middle class, we would never have been able to do any of the things that America has done to make it the great nation that it is today. Sadly, they were dumbed down, the middle class, and I wrote a book called The Vanishing 
the vanishing uh, mental middle class, which is available as well, mm-hmm. and that explains it in, in detail. Mm-hmm. So that's another book I might like to make a note of. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly is. Uh, your, your book, The Committee of 300, as well as the Tavistock Institute, is very detailed. There's no no doubt about that, and and people certainly can are free to try to do their own investigation after reading the book. Um, I, I, so I, I'm thinking, you know, that basically the more I've been thinking about your work and the work of some others that we've had on this show, it seems to me uh, that the revolution of 1776, that essentially the royalty of Europe, and maybe more specifically the British royalty, have taken back their American colonies. Do you think that's, is that accurately stating what's been going on? Well, Americans would be shocked to hear that we pay taxes to the Queen. Yeah. How is that? How, explain to us how that works. That, I'm afraid, is <laughs> it's a very complicated situation, yeah. which would take a long, long time, and I think we might like to leave that for perhaps another segment if you can't yeah. have to invite me back. Yeah, I, I to think... to do it I, in part would not explain the thing at all. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll touch on that another time. I would just say that probably if you realize that we're moving towards a one-world government and then you look to see who this committee of 300 is, uh, and if you understand who they are and to what extent, if you believe that they are uh, exacting the kind of power and propaganda and manipulation that I think uh, you are implying in your books, then you can kind of see how maybe... Um, we are, in a sense, paying taxes back to the Queen. All I was thinking in terms of our liberties and our freedom and the, uh, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence that said that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Well, certainly if we see, and I agree with you, that we are heading towards fascism, economic fascism that is, uh, that is large corporate interests uh, teaming up with government, to for their own advantage against free markets taking away uh the individual rights of people to be who they are who they are created to be and causing us to think alike to act alike and to be and to take our individuality away from us uh, so that the government can manipulate us and so that the people that surround the government the federal reserve and the powers that be can then gain wealth and power is that is that an accurate statement of what you see going on that's a very accurate statement, and I think it sums it up very well, as you put it. And I cannot really improve on that at all. I just want to go back to the Committee of 300, the title, for the moment. Mm-hmm. People said, where do you get that from? Mm-hmm. Well, it actually isn't my idea at all. It's one brought out by a man called Walter Rathenau, who was a German head of the giant Siemens company. Mm-hmm. This was an enormous company before the war. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's nothing that could would compare with it today. And Walter Rathenau said there are 300 people who run everything, mm-hmm. are known only to each other, and two, they are the ones who are controlling the entire system of government, and they are the ones who tell us what we should know and what we should not know. So there's an authority for you. John, and could you spell? Might be interested to hear that. John, could you spell that name? It's Walter, and what is the last name? Rathenau. R A T H E N A U. Rathenau. Yes. Walter Rathenau. Thank you for that. All right. Well, I want to talk. I want to. It was back in chapter twenty-six of your book. You start talking about uh, the Kennedy assassination. And as I mentioned, we have had uh, Vincent Bugliosi on this show, uh, who was the prosecutor of Charles Manson, um, and he wrote the book Helter Skelter. He's also written a book called The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder. He talked to us on this show about that briefly, and there's a movie coming out, I think a documentary coming out, in which he uh, talks about how, uh, you know, how we went to war in Iraq under false pretenses and how... Bush had hid evidence that Saddam was not a threat to us from the Congress and uh, how Bush was in fact so worried that we wouldn't find weapons of mass destruction that he sought for ways to get the Saddam to strike at us so we would have an excuse to go to war. Does all that sound viable to you? Yes, that is actually the way it went. I think it's very accurate. I myself have written about it extensively and uh, I have put out this in the, in the 
monograph, we call, I call them, those are treaties written by a person who has a particular knowledge of a subject. They can be anything from 30 pages to 60 pages. I pointed out that uh, Bush deceived the Congress of the United States and made out that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. If not, he said he had them in biological form and that he was poised to attack the United States. And uh, he was in, they prevailed upon Saddam Hussein to go into the next-door neighboring country and pretend that he was going to attack them and that the reason would be that they were drilling into his oil wells. Mm -hmm. Well, that actually happened, and so we did go to war against Iraq, but it was just a pretense and a pretext, and no declaration of war was ever issued. Right. Well, we don't we don't declare war. The last time we did, I guess, was World War II, uh, and yet we went to war in Vietnam—a very serious conflict and, and endless little wars since then. Not so little wars sometimes. Um, all right. Well, there's so much to cover here, but let's let's get on to the the. Uh, oh, what I was going to say then about Bugliosi is that he has also written a book called uh, Four Days in November. In, and I have not read this book in its entirety. I've glanced through it. But this is a book that Bugliosi is coming out basically and saying he agrees with the Warren Commission. He, he, he uh, basically believes that Oswald, well, that he does believe that Oswald acted alone and that he was the lone uh, killer. You obviously do not believe that, so I would like to ask you, um, you know, why you believe the killing of Kennedy was a bigger conspiracy not only so that we can understand that tragic event, but also to sort of understand the bigger picture and how it's influencing, you know, policy moving forward. But uh, you started out the Chapter 26 stating, and I quote, the Kennedy assassination was a British intelligence M16 operation in which the CIA and the FBI played substantial and significant roles, end of quote. Can you explain uh, that to our listeners? Can you tell us, uh, tell us a story about how, uh, the murder of John Kennedy was pulled off on November 22nd. You say that his security guards were called off. Can, can you talk to us about that? Just talk to us about the incident itself and, and how mechanically how it was pulled off. Well, the Assassinations Review Board issued 60,000 documents between 1994 and 1968. That was the year after the Kennedy assassination took place. And it produced compelling evidence of a vast cover-up. And there's an array of evidence that the critical evidence was tampered with. X-rays were tampered with. X-rays of the skull were forged. And there was no evidence that Kennedy was shot in the back of his head, which would have been the case if he'd been shot by Oswald. If Oswald was in the book depository, where they, they being the people who were in charge of this conspiracy, said that he was, then he would have shot Kennedy in the in the back of the, of the neck and through the head and not the other way around. We know from the final um, review that was done, secret papers that were tried to, they tried to subdue them and not let them come out, but they came out several years later, and they show that evidence was that he was shot, Kennedy was shot from the front. That's why the back of his head was completely blown off. Mm -hmm. And the rifle that was used was not a Monica, which is the rifle that Oswald had. That was an old bolt-action rifle. And it, uh, the man that could not possibly have hit Kennedy, in his, especially as he was traveling away from them. And he would have hit him from behind, as I said. Mm -hmm. But these bullets were high -powered from the high-powered Mauser rifles, and they came from the frontal area. And they completely blew the black of the, of the head of Kennedy out, right out. Mm -hmm. And then there's this enormous conspiracy to blame Oswald for this. Oswald wasn't on the floor of the, of the book depository where they said the, the shooting took place. He, he was, wasn't even fact, there. On the, on the fourth floor, two floors down, Mm -hmm. At the very time the shots were fired, he was getting coke from a coke machine. Mm. But he knew from when they heard the shots that he'd been in, that this was going to set him up, and he managed to get out of the building before the agents from the Texas 
uh, rather I should say from the Pueblo marksmen, the four remaining people could get up there and, and get him, and the object being to kill him, mm-hmm. and then to place his mine liquor rifle close by his body, mm-hmm. and say, well, it was a lone assassin, and this is what he did. And, of course, we know, I know, from the documentary evidence produced by the various intelligence agencies, but which were published many years afterwards, like had Oswald was not, in, they, not the fool they tried to portray him to be, that he was a very highly clever, educated, clever man. Mm-hmm. He was in the Office of Naval Intelligence, for instance. Mm-hmm. He could decipher signals, and he had an intelligence background. And for that reason, he was selected to go to Russia mm-hmm. and work there. And when he came back, of course, was when he got into the difficulties because he got into the uh, Fair Play for Cuba Committee and uh, he was on the street corner talking about Fair Play to, to Cuba and this was seized upon as a reason to make him as an, the fall guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know from the documents that were produced and that I've read that Kenneth, that Oswald, did in fact do his best to warn J. Edgar Hoover that Kennedy was going to be executed exactly at the time he said in Dealer Plaza. Mm. But he couldn't get he could not get an audience with Hoover, so he wrote a memo and left it there, and that's still available today. And in this memo, it's detailed exactly who was going to do the shooting and what was going to happen, and it happened exactly like he said. Is that right? And of That's... course, he knew he'd be a marked man after that. They tried to kill him. So he went straight to his lodging house. And uh, on the way, he got out of the cab, and he had his revolver with him. And he saw a man called Tippett mm-hmm. getting off a Dallas police motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And he knew Tippett to be an operative of the O&I and other agencies that had, not the O&I, I'm sorry, of the CIA, and he knew that he knew this because he attended meetings with him for the fair play to Cuba. So as Tippett got off his bike and reached for his gun, Oswald shot him and killed him. And then, of course, we know exactly what happened after that. He was eventually arrested and charged with the murder of the of uh, Kennedy. Sure. And we know that Jack Ruby killed Oswald before he could give any testimony. And so that's a very involved plot. But basically, that is the background to the whole thing. Lee Harvey Oswald did not kill Kennedy. And, of course, the, the idea or the fact that he that Oswald did kill Officer Tippett uh, provided um, uh, evidence in the minds of most Americans that this must be the guy, else why would he shoot an innocent policeman, right? That's exactly right. But, I remember it very, very well, very vis- vividly. Uh, I came home with my family from church on a Sunday afternoon, and my parents were were visiting with some friends of theirs, and me and my brothers were watching television, and we saw the incident of Jack Ruby uh, killing Oswald. Um, we saw it live on television when it happened. Uh, it was an alarming, uh, an alarming turn of events, it seemed at that time. But I imagine something that makes a great deal of sense to you, uh, given all your research. Now, I do have to ask you, John, you know, when you talk about the evidence that you've seen, most people have not seen this kind of evidence. Most people haven't taken it much further than whatever they're told on the mainstream media. You have been privy to some documents. And maybe before we go to break here, I'm uh, not sure if we have the time, actually. Um, I, I would like to ask you when we come back from our break, if you could explain, uh, you know, where and how you were able to hone in on some documents, and I don't know to what extent you can talk about those documents or, or where they are and what they are, but, of course, that is what people are going to be wondering uh, when you talk about some of these things, uh, some of these events, uh, such as Oswald being able to predict and passing on information to J. Edgar Hoover. So, you know, obviously this is... This is complicated stuff, and, and most people don't have the time. They're so worried about putting food on the table, they don't have time to even think about this stuff, let alone research it and try to, and try to determine whether or not uh, you know, what you're saying is accurate. But we do have to go to break now. When we come back, we want to talk more about the, uh, the Kennedy murder 
uh, and lots more to come. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. 